0: Welcome to Sassholes. We are Revenue Ops with an Edge. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Jason, Marcus, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no-BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. Demandfarm.com. Unlock key account growth with Demandfarm's large deal, key account, and relationship intelligence products. Go to demandfarm.com now to schedule a demo. Ask for Ironman. Brent Keltner's Winolytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In five hours over five weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team build the mindset and skills for a new buyer environment. Kick off in product-driven selling versus authentic conversations for all go-to-market teams. Team-level sessions for self-assessment and team dialogue. All Go-to-Market team wrap-up to identify top go-to-market strategy adjustments, go to winalytics.com now. We got some shout-outs to do. Doug Landis, six years at Emergence Capital. Our own Jamie Carney, one year at People AI. Mario Garcia, five years, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Melanie Boatswain, seven years at Construction Executive. Kyle Singles, graduated from the Texas McComb School of Business. Good for you, Kyle. Brendan Sweeney, old school Brendan. Hot Menu CEO Brendan Sweeney named one of QSR's 21 Digital Dist- Disruptors, way to go, Sweeney! And we got some happy birthdays: Grace Keegan and Andrew Hill. Another spin around the sun. Happy New Year, everybody! Let's happy New that. Year, Marcus!
1: Happy New Year!
0: Happy New Year to you! Yeah, how are you both? We're doing great. Uh, Jason's telling us how he's burning all the uh, sales dollars on uh, wasted questions. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Exactly. I'm trying to get to it as quickly as I can so it doesn't get cut. <laughs> so it's, it's the third. I'm already a quarter of the way through.
0: <laughs> well, we, Marcus, we started out with uh, Jason thinks he has a budget to spend, and he knows it's iffy, so I'm just curious... Is it a month to month? Do you have year deals out there? Three year because de- you know SaaS companies they they try to get you nailed on three year deals. Do they try to do the marketing. Uh, sellers try to nail you down for three years. I don't think so. Yeah, no. I mean, I don't sign up
1: for anything like that. I have one contract that's multi year right now, and I was surprised that that was the case. But um, that that's the only thing. That's the only thing right now. We go we go quarter to I mean, I plan for the whole year, but really we assess it, you know, quarter to quarter. I mean, I do planning with my team annually, but then we redo it every quarter so we are sure of what we've got, what we need to know. and You know, like you can't just take your AdWords or whatever you're doing and like set it up on January 3rd and expect it's going to, do a good job for you in April if you don't keep optimizing and touching it. Like that's the thing, Pete, we were talking about demand gen and SDRs. Like the other part, flip the flip side of the demand gen thing is like optimizing all this work that you're doing. So whatever we're doing today is not necessarily going to look like that in February because you look and see what happens in January and how you can change it and optimize it. And that's really how I go ask for money. You know, I can optimize to this to this degree, which means I'm going to need more here or less here, and move some over.
0: I'm guessing that the uh, the contracts that you signed for multi year, they're more of an analyzing type business, trying to see where what competitors are doing. Like, uh, I don't want you to tell anything out of school here, but yeah. I, I would think you want to know what 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 other companies are spending money on to see if it makes sense for you to do it or go or fish where they where they aren't.
1: Uh, yes. So understanding, any I'm happy to spend money on anything that helps me understand uh, something I can't see. So <laughs> who's coming to the site that's not taking an action? Uh, where where is their data that I can learn from? How do I get more people, and how do I contact more people? Anything like that, I'm I'm happy to spend money on. Now we're in the e-commerce market it's really big so i do care what my competitors are doing but from where we are i also know that i've got a really big market to go at and and a and a small share right so i i know that there's more opportunity out there
2: i'm really curious guys. um how much of the uh technology and the spend do you know is wasted but you can't point to exactly where and how
1: well, I don't. You know, I guess until I know that it's wasted, I don't know that it's wasted. So um, there's got to be a there's got to be a part of it. I mean, I think there's a lot of inefficiency anyway. I'm sure there's inefficiency in our in how we do AdWords, and that's what we're trying to uncover. I'm sure there's inefficiency in in um, email marketing, but some of that stuff like. We have to pay for a marketing automation system, whether something gets wasted or not. So that's why optimization is so important. It's like, I'm not gonna dump my marketing automation system, but I am gonna look at the efficiency of what goes through there and the scoring that comes back to see how to make that better every single week or every single month or quarter or whatever.
2: So this then raises another really interesting question, uh, which is what is the overall purpose of this combination of technology and data what what are you trying to accomplish for your sales team
1: i'm not trying to get them to sell more i'm trying to get us as a company to drive greater revenue that's really what I'm trying to do and so it isn't it sales is one of our channels i mean there's a whole like branding side of this that is that is important that's even more nebulous to measure unless you want to spend bazillions of dollars trying to measure your brand. um I'm trying to drive revenue. Is what I'm trying to do.
0: Okay, it's like is it driver control, like twisting the knob? You want that when you turn that knob, you want something to happen on the other other side. I, I would think, and all tied in our, our ROI. Is that is that right, Mister Marcus? Yeah, I mean, it
1: was, it's funny because I was looking at my list, and and one of the things down here is you know I've got. I've got three words in a row optimization data and sales process right so that is like trying to drive revenue I'm looking at what are we what are we going to optimize and what we currently do what's that data tell us and then do we have that a sales process that then takes what what's coming into this system and we do something with it and and that's you know to me that's like we're going into a new company or working with, new salespeople or new marketing people like that's what you have to understand like do they understand the need for that process so that something that comes in gets disposition gets gets some sort of action on it it may not come become a deal but at least i'm learning something from it like that that's really what that's where if, a lot of the payoff is if we're
0: if we're looking at planning guys isn't it like uh let's just say uh a salesperson is worth 200 grand us a year and you would only add that you would spend that two hundred grand if you knew that it would provide you more revenue than just doing adwords and going through e-commerce. You would add a salesperson when you've exhausted the marketing spend. Is that a way to look at things? Yeah, I guess it
1: depends on how you sell, right? So if you don't if you don't sell through e-commerce, then you can't. I mean, you have to invest in in people. But then you know we we're getting this conversation about. Quota over assignment a couple of weeks ago like you gotta think about that think about that too, right. right like how are you managing that that sales process and how are you managing your sales team and how efficient are they
0: well take you a have to look out at that of it too. and look at the SDRs. So if you're gonna spend a yeah. uh, 80 grand for an SDR then you would spend that 80 grand if you couldn't get the leads coming in from AdWords or another source.
1: Yeah, assuming your SDR's job is to do outbound dialing and not catch inbound. Yeah, right, right. So that's so that's another conversation, right? Like, what's the job of the SDR? Catch inbound or do outbound? And can the same person do both? You get one or the other. I mean, that's you know, that goes round and round and round in every business I've been in.
2: There's a really awkward question, which I'll save for later uh, <laughs> if we have time. Um, but the, my, my question is this: If we're spending all of this time trying to generate leads is that the right question are we trying to generate leads or are we trying to engage with our ideal hero customers and should we be more discerning and work on a smaller list and go deeper and wider within fewer accounts um even if you're transactional uh, you know having a the 200 accounts is a hell of a lot uh, to cover and of yeah. those 200 maybe what um uh, 20 12 15 are going to be of any real significance and you could be spending a huge amount of time on the other eight, you know 185 um for the same return
1: so yeah doing... i mean i think that's what the planning is that we're talking about right who's the who who are you who should you be selling to and what's that size of that market? And then like, are you actually getting those people to buy from you? Are there more, how do you invest in selling just those people?
0: Well, the planning's already been done right now. We're like, everybody It yeah, better be. Well, everybody's straggling in from new year's day, you know, hungover. <laughs> it's going to take them a few days to get going. And then, Oh man, our plans out of whack come, you know, a month from now yeah. or, or mid Q1. And then you gotta, you gotta make adjustments. You know, it there's gotta be some questionable things that you knew when you're planning, this could be the weak spot. And here are the adjustments that we're going to ha- have to make Because 2023, uh, you know, the small companies uh, took a whack. Now the big companies are going to have to take their whack, right? This is going to be a
2: very tough year. Um, And people are going to have to start really rethinking um, how they go to market, because by and large, most of them are going to market with very selfish sales motions Mm -hmm. and marketing motions, um, which means that they touch the customer at the wrong time uh, with the wrong motion. Um, And um, if um, you're on video uh, looking at this, um, then... Um, this model is very helpful. So the way sales organizations work is they've got a TAM, a total available market, and they spend time trying to drag them onto their marketing platform so they can scream in their already deafened ears, we're here, look at me. Um, And then a minuscule percentage of those get shoved into their selling platform where some poor feckless uh, SDR Um, goes through the process of doing a demo where they vomit up features and functionality and say, we do this. Um, And all of this is intended to try and get the prospect into your pipeline. Now, the problem is the majority of those people, because you've touched them at the wrong time, because um, their buying process is they make space when they realize there is a problem. And they start thinking, they're, they're aware but they don't can't quite put their finger on it. And so they start moving into passive looking, which means they're trying to learn how to understand what their problem really is and what other people have tried to do about it. They're not ready for a sales conversation at that time, but that's where the majority of your TAM is. And the problem is that if you're trying to sell them at that point, you're gonna drive a lot of them away or drive many of them into the arms of the competition. Now, bear in mind, you've probably spent, if you're in the e-commerce world, $92 acquiring a customer for every dollar you spend on converting them. And this is these consultancies data from 2018. I mean, Jace, uh, would you say that's wildly uh, out of whack with what you guys
1: do? No, I don't think that's wildly out of whack. I think you're I, a couple of, a couple of things that you made me think of. First of all, the demo you i want to jump to the the your week your quote unquote we do this because that's a huge problem yeah is that reps believe a demo is the next step when you've identified a person or not reps companies <laughs> Com- <laughs> let's just say that companies are like hey sales rep give them a demo when they get to you which is not right nobody likes a demo nobody wants a demo until they're ready to sign a contract probably nobody wants to see a demo exactly. and if that's your next step the demo is the last step. yeah exactly the, demo the, demo is the last
2: one. step. it's not an early step if you so, demo early you're probably going to kill
1: the sale totally and if it's somebody who just goes give me a demo they're, they're probably not your customer so second thing you talked about passive looking so and pete you were asking me about money spending money like that's that's really where i am most interested in spending money is how to identify the people who are passively looking
2: so well my i was after your reason um so you're about to give it to me so uh, far away
1: well I, I, yeah my, i mean my reason is people who are passively looking are actually trying to solve a problem mm-hmm. um, or see a problem coming up down the road or have identified an area of opportunity in their business. And so they're like, let me just go do some research before I have to pitch this to my boss. Or or we've discussed it, the three of us have discussed it, and I'm the one who's on the hook to do the research, so I'm going to go out there and look. However I can identify these people is like super important from a marketing perspective.
2: Right. Okay. So I, I do have some solutions which we can talk about separately um, that might be interesting uh, for you to uh, look at. Um, And I get
1: one more. Can I get one more thing based on what you said is one of the reasons why we spend a lot of time talking about scoring of of a lead or of a person, because when that person comes out of your your total available market into the marketing platform and we talk to them and say, we're here. This is what we do. You know, first of all, you got to have a pretty diverse set of, of content that says. I mean, you should be asking people to buy all the time, but sometimes you're just going to give them information. But that's why you got to score people in some way that you keep revisiting so you understand whether they're qualified to do this, whether they want to talk to you or whatever. It's really hard to do if you don't have some sort of scoring system. None of them are perfect, and you have to revisit them constantly to make sure that they're accurate. But that's one way you can help your, your SDRs and your sellers say, Uh, this person's ready or they're not ready, or you can see this person's, you know, the type of person we want to sell to or not. And that scoring system helps with that. And there are lots of products that do that, but I mean, we spend a lot of time on that kind of scoring idea.
2: Well, what we also have to bear in mind um, is when we're looking at where the buyer's journey, this is Bob Masters' fabulous um, buyer's journey model. And um, what's really interesting about this is that, The majority of um, sales activity actually hits buyers in the passive learning stage. However, um, if we um, use that and we train our SDRs to recognize the moment is not appropriate to pitch, but it's to engage in a discovery process where we're trying to help them understand and create a pathway to certainty. Because remember, two two of the greatest uh, human needs that drive our decision-making behavior are the lack of certainty and looking for certainty. And the second one is the need for significance. Now, if we understand that people also care about making a contribution, they care about... um, Uh, making real meaningful change they care about these this is the stuff that they care about well our job in trying to find those people who are passively looking is to turn up at times when they are not ready to buy and add value that is timely and relevant but not pressured
1: create content that doesn't have a call to action of you got to buy from us but create content that is Um, and, and we do this in our in our business now you know we i mean it's not unusual or unique that we do a webinar but you know we do a really consistent webinar series number one that is focused on what are some big problems and the people on those webinars are our partners and our customers so it's not us saying let me give you content that we think is valuable but really looks like a demo to you it's actually let me give you content that is a conversation among people who really have this problem Um, absolutely and and that's why we do it because at the end of it it's like you know the call to action at the end of it is we're doing another webinar next month if you want to come to that hey sign up for that one too that's the call to action and then that generates an enormous amount of content that we can use for different stages of the buying cycle once we've done that so like you get this to be kind of a tactical look at what you're saying which is generate some content that really is about the problems of the industry the problems of the of the people who are trying to to sell you know in our case other e-commerce merchants
2: well th- this is really important because when we understand where the buyer is in their journey as an individual human being because the company isn't necessarily at those uh, at any specific stage, uh, the individuals you need to work on, especially with enterprise or uh, more mm. complex sales. Now, um, when they're in the passive looking stage, your job is to try and learn what their struggling moments are and what the job they're trying to get done is and what that individual's role is in executing their part of the job to be done. If you understand that, then it's much, much easier to develop content that is preemptive because now you can say, Pete, and typically you'll see these three things happening. And if they happen, the next follow-on is this and this. If these five things happen, this is when you need to take action. Watch out for this. And when the first trigger happens, okay, They're alerted to it because they've got a bit in their brain called the reticular activating system, which looks for unfinished business and it hates loose ends, which is why um, in really good storytelling uh, and in NLP, it's called nested loops. You start by building up and you start with E, then D, then C, then B, then A, and then you collapse A, B, C, D and E. And that way, what you do is you build this crescendo and it's all tied together. So you build the emotion and you're building one thing on another. Well, the same thing in presenting and in selling. What we're trying to do is build little moments of credibility and little moments of reliability. Because every time you see a piece of my content or I pick up the phone to you, you know it's going to be a valuable experience because every single time in the past, it's been about you and your needs and helping you advance your understanding. It's not been about me pitching my my product. So when I you love move...
1: the, I love the phrase, Marcus, I love the phrase, learn what their struggling moments are, which yeah. is way to me, way better than like, what's their pain? Well, uh, you know, I mean, they're. they're Everybody wants to talk about what their pain are, but what are those moments where they struggle, where they're sitting somewhere and somebody asks them for a piece of data that they don't feel confident in, or somebody asks them how they're going to change the trajectory of whatever, demand, and they don't have the answer to that. Like, what are those struggling moments and how do you help them with those struggling moments is, is great because I I also think that if you see yourself as a storyteller, you look for struggling moments, you don't look for the pain. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And that's yeah.
2: interesting. Remember for the last quarter of a million years our ancestors have been sat around campfires looking up at the sky talking about the great emu and other stuff. And um, and you know it's fascinating.
1: You know we we creatures Pete still creatures. does that. Pete still <laughs> sits around <laughs> looking at the sky talking about the great emu.
0: <laughs> we're in planning you know recovery mode. You know we thought the year was going to go like this and yeah. It's all about capital preservation. And if the numbers aren't coming in the way you thought they were, are people going to be quicker to pull the trigger? They're going to be risk averse. They're not going to want to sign long-term deal- deals. They're going to want to do short-term deals, freemium. What 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 do you guys think is going to happen? What makes you you have one long-term deal, Ferrara, and you have the rest of these things going on? You're not going to sign more than a quarter, are you?
1: No, I, I, I think it's interesting because I think our budgets are going to be, yeah, I think they're going to be much tighter in time frame. So I think what you're going to get is you're going to get people to say, yeah, I mean, overall, the year, we got to make sure we have a sensible budget and it's got to end this way. And assuming we spent it all, this is what it should look like at the end of the year. But I really do think it's going to be quarter by quarter decision making. It's pretty uncertain what's going on. Well, I mean, let some, me ask your... someone, someone. wrote something the other day about about you know will inflation hit hard, and I'm like, whoa, it's already hit hard. Like it's, <laughs> that that train has left the station, right? So, so what else is going on? Like, let's tick the boxes around what's good and what's bad, and nobody knows this I think Everybody's going to prepare for. You can spend that now, but don't carry it over to the next period. And the next period could be next month, or certainly next quarter
2: okay, well, let let me ask you this question, Jason. Um, what is the bit the overall job to be done for the business? What are you all working towards collectively?
0: Shareholder value
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think there are two things that we're working toward. One is shareholder value. Uh, taking care of our existing customer. If I look at the projects we have planned and the things that we're doing, it really is about take care of that existing customer.
2: And if you could only focus on one, which one would you focus on?
1: Well, I think to take care of the existing customer serves the shareholder value. So to me, that's the that's the highest level one. And I think it's the one that, because it's the one that makes us take care of our team the best. Ah right now we're, bar-
2: now we're making real progress okay yeah because it's like,
1: i want people to be happy if they're happy working where we're working then they're going to take care of their customers the best if they're secure and they feel good and they have opportunity regardless of what the budget is if they feel like they have opportunity and latitude in their roles then they're going to make people feel like positive customers
2: let, let's pretend shareholders took their rightful place right at the back of the queue um and uh, what we did instead, as uh, we put the employees, the customers and the partners before everybody else, yeah. um, what would you do differently?
1: One of the most important things we could do to to help our customers is to make sure that the most of our employees that were sales that were salespeople felt like they were given the tools they needed to hit their plan. <laughs> You know, because that I mean, Pete, how many employees was that? That was something, you know, that was like freaking 85% of the company or something.
0: And the upwards, you know, it was about six 700 uh, people. And, you know, back then you wanted to give them the feeling of control. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need the control. They need to feel like they're in control. Yeah, So they can right?
1: go out and, and, and win, right? They got to feel confident enough to go out and win or take care of the customer or like, whatever team they're on, they can go out and do those things. And that's, I think, the most important thing you could do in a time like this. Like, look at your – how do you empower your team?
2: They have to feel safe that they can have difficult conversations with customers knowing that they're not going to be punished. They need to know that they can take risks, that they can make decisions. Um, And this is where um, most people, I think, in their planning – will be going in the wrong direction because they're going to be trying to exercise more control instead of giving more agency. They're going to take away trust instead of giving trust. And by the sounds of things, if you're creating a culture and an environment where people feel taken care of, they're more likely to give discretionary effort. Um, and if they understand the values, the boundaries, uh, Upon uh, around which they can behave. So, for example, um, when I'm working with my clients and with my teams, it's always central is buyer safety. If the buyer does not have cause to feel safe because we in any way behave in an untrustworthy, self-serving, pressurizing manner, um, they have every right to kick us into touch.
0: And why wouldn't they? You know, I'll take your shared screen and I'll up you one, Marcus. Ooh. Um, oh, boy. Do I have to do – do I have to share something with uh, the four you, you know, You're marketing. You're marketing. I think everybody yeah. needs to know, okay, the year has started, okay? I want to see results and I want to see work. The results you show me now are from a sales cycle that happened before. And generally, when everybody starts at a company, they're in the top left quadrant. They're busting their ass. They don't have any results. Then eventually, you know, that deals with onboarding and training. Then they get into uh, we call it discipline freedom. You're working hard. You're pr- producing results. Remove obstacles. Let them do what they need to do. Then you need some mechanism to figure out when they go in the bottom right quadrant, where the results are coming in, but the work is missing it may not hit you now depending on the sales cycle might may, may be 6 months down the road a, month, a year down the road okay then when they get into that bottom left where no work and no results that's pip riff I, it's it's too uh, it's too late for a pip to get them back going you know they're they're, they're going to have to go unless there's some type of system in place in your planning uh that looks something like this and this could be your leads. This could be your employees. This, you know, whatever it is, you just have to show that you're you're putting in the work now that will will turn into the the revenue down the road. And I think a lot of companies right now, I call this no surprises. Okay, if let's just okay. say Jack Jack Welch was what ten twenty seventy, he would he would cut the uh, the bottom ten percent. Everybody yeah. needs to know that where they are in the bottom ten percent. Well, I, I think there's a,
2: a challenge here, which is that um, we really need to, in our planning, uh, we need to build it backwards from uh, the job that we're all trying to get done and uh, the individual's role in executing their part towards that job. And, uh, Jace, where I was leading to uh, was um, rather than um, buying uh, quarter by quarter, if you had a consortium of partners who are really familiar not only with your business but also with what potentially is out there that you may not be aware of because they do this every day and that's their job. Uh, and you're um, you know stuck with your nose to the grindstone, um, you know, focusing on trying to deal with uh, putting out fires. Um, if you had partners like that. Isn't it more likely that you'd be buying through that consortium because there's an ecosystem, that there's a framework, and they're working backwards from your uh, overall uh, you know, three-year st- uh, job to be done uh, rather than coming in and piecemeal uh, buying tech or buying a bit of data or hiring somebody? Have a plan. Have a three-year plan broken down in six-month increments. What does the business look like? What customers, how much revenue, um, how much of that falls to the bottom line? How much do we get to spend of the money we generate? Because that means that we don't have to go out and get funding. Um, Then um, six months back from there, what are the positions that we need in order to make that possible? For that to be possible, what budget needs to be available to hire those people? And then we can start thinking about building a bench. So when we're doing this planning cycle and um, we're thinking three years ahead and we're working backwards so that this quarter is serving that three year
1: goal because it's yeah, much for sure, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I But but um, that that type of planning needs to have started, you know, in Q3, the beginning of Q3 of the previous period in order to. In order to take effect now, like if you're doing that now in January, your January it's not gonna is not going to happen too, now. Screwed, right? It's not going to happen. But but then I I do I do agree with you. Like you build that plan, you build it for the long term, and and the the budget should be should be laid out like that. Um, you would hope I there's think,
0: contingencies in place because the yeah, plan three you years did, ago
1: th- three <laughs> years ago today didn't look like today. Today looked right. a lot rosier than today. Yeah. So you gotta you gotta have contingency plans. And then I mean. Marcus, the reality is, you can you can build your budget quarter by quarter, and it works until your best rep leaves, or until you ha- your churn goes up because you got a big customer that has decided to leave, and now you're like, oh shit, sure. we can't spend that, we can't do it this way, we got to shift it this way, and so that's going to require inter year shifts. Uh, but yes, I mean, like Pete, what you were showing me, and what I just started thinking about was, um, you got to have an operating system. Your business has to run on an operating system, and there are lots of them. You have to choose one, and you and you have to plan based on that operating system.
0: Well, the system, and, guys, shouldn't it be that you got to know what your number is? We did a poll yeah. last week. Half of the people that responded said that they don't think they're going to get the co- their quarter by February 1 or this first month of their uh second month of their fiscal year. That's crazy. Yeah. It's it's bad management.
2: It's piss poor leadership and it's just it's normally uh driven by people who are indecisive um because they're out of their depth. You know, th- be, being a CRO after 3 years as an SDR you're not anywhere equipped to do that kind of shit, but there are a lot of them in SaaS.
0: How can you? I, I, I just, I've seen it happen at companies I've worked for. I've heard about it for other companies. It's what <laughs> they're they're trying to justify the bonuses. They want to make sure there's isn't, right. isn't too much overperformance. And okay, I think we can get to the point where we don't have to pay out too much money. It's almost like. I hate to go back to the salary thing, but this pay at risk and bonus thing—if you don't get your number number till the second quarter, why the hell would you stay at a company? Half of the respondents said they would. They don't know. They have. They don't believe they'll get their number till February or March. Well, I don't three, understand. Four, I at how at are you supposed to hit your first risks. quarter?
2: <laughs> it, it's insane. But, again, this is why planning – and, uh, uh, Jace. I absolutely agree with you. You should have done it two quarters ago. Yeah, but if yeah, you yeah. haven't, you've got to start somewhere, and now would be the best place. You know, If you can't plant 20 years ago, plant it now, uh, yeah, second yeah. place. Um, and this is why I think we've got to start thinking longer term, which is why I was so excited when you said, I'm really interested in the people who are passive-looking, um, because that's your medium-term pipeline. What I'm teaching all of my clients, and it's working an absolute dream, is fixate on your medium to long-term pipeline. People who are going to buy in maybe six months up to 36 months and really focus on mapping out who the best prospects are and work those smaller number of accounts so that you blitz them in a very short space of time. So let's say you've got 20 target accounts that are your trophy accounts work five a quarter and try and get 20 to 30 points of contact within those each of those accounts and get referred off each conversation and use each conversation to learn and feed off the next one. So by the time that quarter is over, you've already established a really good network and you've identified people who are passively looking and you're looking at people who have a vested interest in the status quo. And then look at who their partners are. Because my favorite way of getting uh, into an organization um, is to get referred in by half a dozen people who are already trusted by the buyers. Half at different points in the buying cycle, at uh, different times, um, different levels. It makes it not impossible for my competition because by the time there's a consensus... It's very difficult when my competitor speaks to 1.65 buyers and I've got 18 people who know my name, 12 of whom are big advocates, um, and three
0: of them are power. The the money that comes in January, Rule of 72, that's the most valuable money of the year, right? So what is passive? What do you consider passive in the CRM? Is it a drip campaign? It's talking to marketing is this somebody that we ran an appointment with and I said, yeah, you know, let me think about it. And then we get the drip going. <coughs> what what do you call passive Marcus? And how would you, how would you ca- campaign to them, Jason? I'm not entirely sure what you mean by passive. Cause I I don't think we're ever passive. Are we? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of, I I thought I heard somebody say, and I thought it was you, Marcus, the, these, these passive, uh, uh prospects that are co- co- coming through that, that uh, they're, is- they're, they're, they're passively looking so then right. how do we active. harness them what do we how do we know they're passive i'm guessing it's a stage in the crm and if we can identify the stage and what is jason going to do what's the drip campaign going to look like okay. to get them are, are, where are they in that that uh, classic buying
2: cycle if, if they fit the profile of one of your hero customers Um, then where are they in that buying cycle? And what struggling moments are they likely to be experiencing at that phase? So how can I preempt? What can I do to turn up and make sure I'm there to hold their hand through the struggling moment? But better still, how can I preempt it? One of my favorite things when I sell to a client is, "Um, Pete, in about three months' time, I'm going to introduce accountability to the point where people can no longer hide or make excuses without it being glaringly obvious and painful. Um, now when we do that, one thing is going to happen. You're going to hear on your door, and people are going to be tapping saying, Pete, can I have a word? And you'll say yes. And then they'll say, um, you know, the training, really enjoying it. Marcus is great fun, but he doesn't come from our industry. Or he doesn't really understand how difficult it is. Or um, he doesn't understand how, uh, you know, our pricing um, is uh, uncompetitive or whatever it is. Now, when that happens, what are you going to say to And sure as eggs is eggs? On the the day we introduce accountability, there's a steady stream of every rep who doesn't want to be held accountable because it means that they're going to have their feet held to the fire. Yeah. So that then proves I know my shit because it confirmed. You remember that conversation? Yeah, and I warn them it's gonna happen. Okay. So in, in the same way, we should be preempting objections, for example. Because remember, your buyer for 80% of the buying cycle is going to be catastrophizing all this shit that can go wrong and how they will be blamed when they put ink on contract. So how are you building, inoculate, how are you inoculating them um, to protect them against that?
0: Well, you're saying how to lower risk for the buyer. Are some companies, I don't want to say the dreaded word discount, but there's got to be something where you have different layers of the product that somebody could use that doesn't you won't lose any money on. But at least they can try whatever you're offering and then work worked their way into it. Yeah, you got to make it safe. You got to make it safe for somebody. Not, not to mention, I think most
1: products are overpriced from a rate card perspective, anyway. So, so I don't know how much validity there isn't. It. You were asking something interesting, though, Pete, about the the passive lookers, and I want to I want to get into this a little bit because, um, first of all, I think there is, if if you are a company today and you're not engaging already in finding out who those, those passive lookers are, um, then you're doing something that is probably a little bit more transaction. Mm-hmm. And I, in my opinion, you can't just stop the transaction and drive for the passive lookers because you'll have this giant hole in your year where nothing is getting sold because you're trying to figure that out. So there's a transition from one to the other that needs to be made. And it has to be a considered transition because it requires a different motion that requires. And Pete, this is, I mean, I've said this a million times on Sassholes. This is how you and I became to be friends when we realized how important it is to try something new between sales and marketing requires us to actually have a conversation about trying something new. So talking to those passive lookers is impossible if your marketing team says give me 20 give me 20 named accounts i'll go market to them when they come through you'll sell them that doesn't work give let's come up together with what the criteria are how we would choose those people how we work together the conversation we have how we score them how we qualify them this is a everyday conversation about that type of sales motion
0: and that may be
1: only a few people who can handle that conversation the rest of them can crank the transactions all day long the ones that can handle it work together
2: i'm sure you've uh missed it out deliberately but um the missing link is the cs people um customer success is speaking to customers six to eight hours a day yeah yeah why why
1: are they here we know that
2: three minutes a day um so why the fuck are they not involved for goodness sake i mean grow up yeah
1: because they know, like when we go choose those 20 or whatever, we we want to get some target accounts. How do we know? Well, we would know by like who are our most valuable customers? What do they look like? Do we want more of them? Well, we may have a really valuable customer that is a complete pain in the ass.
0: Yeah. We don't
1: actually want more like them. We want more that look like this. Well, what are the characteristics of these? How do we go help find those? And you got to have that CS in that conversation. But, but Mark, as my example of Pete and I working together, the CS team wasn't, it wasn't what you were talking about at that I time. So this really was me and Pete trying to figure it out or, and a bunch of other people. I, I Sorry, get it. I but remember, th- but
2: um, yeah. th- the, the point being that we need, it's, it's con- uh, a continuum um, that as yeah. far as the customer is concerned, and we need to build everything from the customer out. If we build it from us, um, then we start ending up sounding like selfish assholes. Um, and uh, the buyers don't like that because they're not interested. They don't care right. about your quota. They don't care about your shareholders. What they care about is, can you help me solve my problem?
0: You know, right. It's
2: like you know, the, the old lady going into the shop um, and uh, the rep trying to explain about the heater. Um, and the only question that the old lady wants answered is, will it keep an old lady warm? Right, It's as simple as that. And we've got to stop overcomplicating. We've got to start taming the complexity. And I think one of the biggest problems that we see in sales today is that the sales leadership makes everything far more complicated for the salespeople because they're trying to exercise control. What they need to do is give up control uh, and trying to be controlling and focus on the things that actually get you to the outcome that you want which is helping customers solve their problems.
1: Which gets us back to the, do you feel safe and supported at the tools you need as a seller in that environment? Because the plan helps us do that and you can't do it unless they unless they feel like they have the space to go really do true discovery. You're just going to get fake discovery, demo, close lost. Fake discovery, demo, <laughs> close lost. And somebody will bite because they're like, I don't care about the fake discovery. I just want the demo and I'm going to buy. You get a few of those,
2: and, and they were going to buy it anyway. You could have saved yourself, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: You didn't convince them to buy; they were going to buy yeah. it anyway.
2: Let, let's pretend it does ABCD and E. Uh, what happens then? Well, I'd buy it. Great. Um, so, do you have a credit card? And then you're done. I mean, it, it's it, it's not rocket science. I know that's simplifying it, but the, you know the point being that um, we the whole sales process. Uh, historically, for the last forty years, has been focused around us. It's been focused around making things more efficient, more convenient, more effective for us. Um, and the customer has become a forgotten afterthought at the end of a long chain of abuse. Employees are being asked to do things that they feel deeply uncomfortable about, which is why three quarters of technology employees have looked for a new job last year. Um, and why 40% now have a side hustle because they don't trust their leadership. That That's indicative of something much bigger. We're dealing with a wicked problem here, which is made up of um, leadership, sales, investors, marketing, customer success, the customer, your channel, um, your
0: supply chain, and all of these things. And you've got to consider them all. Well, in 2023, is- we're talking about planning if we look, we're looking in the crystal ball, there's going to be more cuts at the bigger companies and the bigger cut. Co- if you have a bigger company cut or riff, more people are going to be laid off. So the sales forces are going to shrink. The customer success teams are going to shrink. It's going to be uh, the the smaller companies that are used to getting a uh, handheld service. <laughs> good luck. Go to the website. Uh, it's, that's where e-commerce is going to have to come to play to get some type of value of these people that you can't afford to put a sales rep on anymore. I think intelligent websites are going to replace a lot of salespeople.
2: Um, I think, you know, uh, uh, Voice is already replacing it. You know, uh, Alexa and Siri uh, do a lot of, uh, you know, basic order taking for transactional stuff. Well, you see this with writing
1: too. I mean, like I can, I can write lots of stuff that I don't actually have to write down. <laughs> like I don't have to write it.
2: So, we're, you know, there, there are plenty of ways that we can be more effective, um, but we have to ask ourselves, should we? And so um, when we're asking ourselves about efficiencies and effectiveness in our planning, um, we also need to uh, caveat it with, and how will it affect the customer? Because it, it, if it makes our lives easier, but it creates friction for the buyer, it's going to mean we sell less. Or customers churn. And so your emphasis on your existing customer, that really interests me. Because in terms of planning, what I'm interested in is profit. I want to know that my expansion sales will typically net me about uh, 1,150% profit, whereas a new business sale will generate me 18%. And an upsell will generate me 170%. According to the 19, uh, 2019 banks survey, um so yeah, you know, this is an investment uh, bank effectively uh, looking at their investments. Mm-hmm. so if you want to be have cash that you can spend on hiring, on buying technology, look at how you can get profitable customers. So in your planning, I would strongly recommend you shift your prospecting focus on how do we generate lifetime customers who are very profitable, not how do we hit quota this quarter? Because that changes marketing's focus. It changes the um, qualification, the pre-qualification. What does an MQL look like now if you have that kind of, uh, you know, thinking cap on. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it does, that does... um... That lends itself to that shift that we were talking about to finding those, those passive people understanding the, what their struggling moments are. Because when they, when that prospect believes that you understand their struggling moments and then buy, they've, they've created a better relationship with your organization anyway during the sales process. But I think that's the, that's the one challenge that, that I feel like most acutely is when a new customer comes on do they feel like the company is an advocate of their needs or do they feel like they just bought something and that you know that that's where we I mean I, the last the last couple companies I've been involved in that's been a big that's been a big topic like when somebody buys, do they feel like we understand them or was it just a transaction?
0: For how do you get the feedback? Do you do surveys, net promoter scores? Like what what because if you're gonna have less customer service people this year, you're gonna need something that says, hey, the customer's pissed off. So what w- what do you guys do? Yeah.
1: So I mean, we we do net promoter score is our today is our primary is our primary mechanism. Um and I and I always tell people like if you get if you get a Net Promoter Score that you don't like, that should be considered a cry for help by that by that customer, right? It's not it's not them just saying, "Oh, I'm going to give them a bad a bad rating because I want to give them a bad rating." It's like, no, they're they want to talk. That's that's an outreach, right? If they if they were really that mad, they wouldn't do anything. They want to talk to you, so that's that's the number one thing we do. The other thing is to make sure that there's like, we we talk a lot about. Um, ownership of a of a client so there is there is a a cs person assigned to an account they have to know hey that's your assignment that's you you're responsible for this client but i mean you know my day job is demand generation and branding my side hustle really my my side hustle is demand generation and branding my day job is do you have a client that's a problem i'll jump in and talk to them like i'm in this position where I can ask a bunch of questions that usually the rep or the CS person can't because I'm not getting I'm not I don't have a quota. I don't have like those very immediate, tangible things. I have more of a long term vision. So my conversation is, okay, I saw a negative NPS come in. The CS person reached out to me. Let me engage. What's going on? What's happening? Like, let's talk. You tell me what's happening because I, I, you know, I want to hear it from them. And, And we do that. We do a lot of that as a leadership team
2: well that's incredibly refreshing because that is quite rare let's be honest about it and um, you know very f- few marketers uh, speak to customers and very few leaders um spend yeah that uh, just
1: drives me bananas oh my god I, I, I this is one of my one of my most passionate things and the uh, thing i, I hate the I most i
2: think i just put time in the back
1: <laughs> i hate it like i, uh, I mean every single company i've ever been to uh, in a marketing role um going to the sales team, asking or going to the CS team, whoever whoever it is, asking to talk to a customer. The question is, why do you want to talk to them? Why should I let you do that? And and most of the time, I'm like, what how is that your decision? Right. I don't I don't want to be a jerk about it, but I want to talk to him. I'm gonna talk to him. But but that is like so important because that's what makes someone feel like they're this really valuable client and they are you just talked about how profitable they are like everybody should have a relationship here you should be building these relationships across the business i don't well, know. I, that's that's what listen you can get anybody to run a google adwords campaign i yeah. don't hire me to do that but if you want someone who cares about you know it cares about that customer and their experience that's what we got to do as leaders in an organization and we're all leaders in an organization, regardless of the role that we play, right? So we've got to connect with our clients in that way. No, no I agree. With it all.
0: No, no, Man, you're you're, it.
1: you're
2: absolutely on the money. But the the problem is that um, so many of our salespeople, our SDRs, don't pick up the phone. And um, a couple of weeks yeah. ago, I came across an SDR, and I asked him uh, to, uh, for um, something from his phone, and he had to go to his third screen to find his phone app now that's yeah, indicative of a yeah big... we don't make
1: phone calls anymore.
2: people don't make phone calls or so a lot of people don't make phone calls because they don't understand the power of whispering right into someone's ear i mean that they've allowed you into their um personal space in such an intimate way on the telephone um you know, th- people, if I whispered in your ear physically, it would give you the creeps, but th- they're letting you that close,
1: yes, it would, Marcus. Yes, it would.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Even if we had some foreplay,
0: um, <laughs> that's my guy. I
1: thought that was
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, gentlemen, and I do use the term loosely. Uh here we are it's the new year you thought uh what who was it uh Mike Tyson hey, man the best laid plans uh, get yeah. thrown out the window you get punched in the face yeah, so, right. so you got a couple of weeks of uh thinking you're on course uh get ready to make the change <laughs> here's some <laughs> things that you can look at Yeah. well we do get the, base in the face
1: that's... around when the last week of the month <laughs> the, the, my, my advice
2: my advice on this is really simple. Stick to doing the fundamentals. Do the basics well consistently over time and mean it. And that means you've got to really understand your customer, who they are, where they are in the buying cycle, and where they are in the life cycle of their own job. Understand them, their motivation. Understand their influence, their um, their potential. Influence uh, on this and what other vested interests they have. Take your time. This is why uh, Jason's uh, point about focusing on the passive market is really key because you want to understand um what conversations they are having internally. Because as you understand that, if you think about it, it's like uh, being on a night bombing raid and you're at thirty thousand feet. Um, the pain within the organization of these little explosions as the bombs explode, and you hear the pop, okay? But with that uh, height, you've got visibility of all the things that are going on. The only other people who are likely to have that, interestingly enough, are procurement, if they are strategic, data, and the channel. Because they're the ones who generally have a very wide ranging perspective. Everyone else is very blinkered, okay? So go to those three sources if you want a much bigger picture and understanding the interplay between the different parts. Because when you understand the interplay, then you can start looking upstream for cause. And if you can find a problem at its cause, you can stop the symptoms downstream and then you've got to plan for what happens when you turn the electricity off when someone's running
0: at full pelt on the treadmill people care more about losing money than they do about gaining money show them that you can help them not lose money yeah fear of loss well, this, versus desire for gain well th- this is where cost of inaction is something that you really got to
2: understand and um, because that's how you enter the passive market in a way that they weren't expecting Mm -hmm. And that might be the trigger that shifts them from passive to active, because now they're um, trying to um, get to grips with um, uh, what the possibilities are. And then when they're deciding, what they do is they make trade-offs. I can do without the fifth bedroom, but I can't do without the second bathroom. Um, We need access to decent um, motorways, And uh, decent airports, not that interested in trains. Yeah? Right. So Mm -hmm. these are all things that when we're making the decision, we're trading off. And what we end up with is what's left. And then on first use, if it doesn't meet the expectations, then we don't really make progress. Then buyer's remorse sets in very quickly. And if it does, then we're looking at ongoing use. And what we really care about then is building the habit, making sure that they're habituated into using what you do use, uh, what you sold them. So, um, how do you get adoption? How do you get uh, consumption? How do you get satisfaction? So, the metric I would p- prefer to look for rather than NPS is time to value. What is the ti- What is the value that the customer intended when they invested in our solution? How long does it take? To deliver that or exceed it and when they do achieve it there is a big fat hefty bonus for all the people who contributed to that and a nice big
0: celebration with the client gentlemen happy new year happy new year. happy new year pete <laughs> happy new year Marcus! i cannot think of starting a, a, a new year with two better people than you two thank, <laughs> thank you so much nice pete Great
1: to start it with you. <laughs> Overnight, joy. Thank
0: you. Bye-bye. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. DemandFarm.com unlock key account growth with DemandFarm's large deal, key account, and relationship intelligence products. Go to DemandFarm.com now to schedule a demo. Ask for Man. Brent Keltner's analytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In five hours over five weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team build the mindset and skills for a new buyer environment. Kickoff off in product-driven selling versus authentic conversations for all go-to-market teams. Team-level sessions for self-assessment and team dialogue. All go-to-market team wrap-up to identify top go-to-market strategy adjustments. Go to winalytics.com now.